All right, we're going to go ahead and begin. Uh, welcome. This is the class on Deuteronomy. And um, you may be uh, not overly excited about Deuteronomy, and that's okay. I, I think that this will be a good study um, <clears throat> for a couple of reasons, and we'll get into some of those. But <clears throat> just as an a quick introduction before the introduction, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, many times as we study scripture, we tend to go back to our favorites over and over and over again, our favorite books, our favorite passages. And uh, throughout the Christian journey, it's important to have a well-balanced diet of scripture. And so over the years, Christians have come up with tools like the lectionary that uh, kind of goes through the gamut of scripture over a three-year period. Um, obviously, as communities of faith have gathered and studied uh, various books, um, it's important to, to make sure we're covering the gamut of God's good story so that we can properly extrapolate trajectories and truths that are, that are still uh, meaningful for our lives. So that's, if nothing else, that's a reason to study Deuteronomy. Um, and then there are some theological things that we'll, that we'll cover here in a minute as well. Um, just to begin, uh, we've got some housekeeping things. Uh, in fact, even before I get to the syllabus, <clears throat> I've got an announcement sheet here. So let me go through these uh, family items just to keep you informed of some things. Uh, today, there is a wedding shower for Zach Mansfield and Vanessa Alt, 1 to 3 p.m. in the gathering room. Uh, you're welcome to attend that. Uh, next Sunday, June 11th, there is a wedding shower for Kenna Rowe and Nick Holt, 1 to 3 in the gathering room. They're registered at Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, and Pottery Barn. Pretty soon, I guess, everybody will be registering at Ikea, but not quite yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, summer Wednesday nights have started. Last Wednesday, the Shepherds uh, hosted a cookout here. And uh, this Wednesday night, we'll have a bring-your-own-picnic at the pavilion. So 7 o'clock, we'll be in the pavilion. Whoever would like to come and share a meal together, um, would love to see you there. And then family prayer concerns for the week. Uh, Vivian Portell, Don Portell's mother, and Melissa Kirby's grandmother passed away May 26th. And they held the service for her uh, on May 31st in St. Louis. So we want to remember the Portel family for sure. Why don't we start with a prayer and then we will uh, look ahead to, to this summer's class. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your love that is new for us every morning. We're so thankful for your grand story, for... Um, the chapters in the narrative that reveal your truth and your love and your grace. And Father, we pray that we would have the courage to boldly step into our role in our chapter in time to be your kingdom, to be your people here on earth. Father, we pray for um, those in our church family and our community who are hurting this week, specifically uh, the Portel family, and we know there are others, uh, but we pray that you would uh, be with them in a special way and give them peace and, and grace as, as they grieve. And Father, I also ask that you would be present in our midst as we embark on this study uh, of Deuteronomy. Um, Father, this is a text that may not be familiar to us as some others, and so we pray that you would uh, enliven this text for us, help it become real, a part of our uh, faith history, and also um, guidance and, and um, uh, ways of obedience for us to live uh, in the here and now. 
Father, we love you and we thank you for uh, this opportunity to be together to study your word. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to pass around a couple of things here. We have a syllabus and an email list, and then we'll talk about resources. So um, here are some syllabi. Y'all can scatter those about. This will kind of give you an overview of the summer. Uh, I'm, I'm teaching today, but uh, we've got a great cadre team of teachers for the summer. So um, I, I'm really excited about that. I, I think that you're going to get to hear some, some voices you may not be familiar with, and that's a good thing. Uh, Deuteronomy is written to a community of people, and so it's, uh, I think it's a good perspective for us to hear from the community here at Otter Creek as we, as we look at this text. So uh, the teaching team is myself, Logan Key, Brian Mansfield, Becky Frazier, Jim Thomas, Paul Ellis, Steve Joyner, Alan Walker, Ben Forrest. I think I got everybody. Uh, so odds are you probably know some of the names on this list, but probably most of you don't know everybody on this list. And so that in and of itself will be a good uh, experience of the community here. So I would encourage you to, to be here as much as possible. If you miss a class, we are recording it, so there will be a, uh, an audio recording on the website each week. And in addition to all that, um, I'll send out a, a weekly email to you uh, just to kind of keep us on track of where we are in the study. So if you would like to receive that email, you can sign up on this list. I'll pass around. It's on a clipboard. There's only one of these, so everybody will need to get, a, get that eventually. Okay. All right, those are the main housekeeping items. Um, a couple of resources that we're using for the class is Philip Camp, who teaches at Lipscomb. Some of you may know Philip, has written a book, Living as the Community of God, Moses Speaks to the Church in Deuteronomy. And so uh, that's, uh, that's a really good uh, resource. If you want to pick that up, it's on Amazon. You're welcome to it. Um, I, I mentioned to Philip that I would promo his book. So if you'd, like to go get, if you'd like to go get a copy, I'm sure he'd be thrilled about that. He's actually in Israel right now. I think they just left yesterday or a couple days ago. Uh, but great Old Testament scholar, familiar with the Hebrew. Uh, and then also uh, Patrick Miller's uh, commentary on Deuteronomy in the Interpretation Series, which is a, a fairly uh, common commentary, uh, but, but good, good work there as well. So those are the two primary resources, and then we'll sprinkle in some other things as well. Okay, um, so today, as you see on the syllabus, I am going to give a bit of an overview of the book, and then we're going to delve into chapter one a little bit as well. So uh, that's, a, that's a lot to cover in one day, but we're going to give it a shot. So first, uh, the very name of the book. I think it's good to, to kind of grasp where the name comes from. Uh, in Hebrew... The name is actually Ella Hadavarim, which are the opening words of, of the book. Uh, so, by the way, if you, if, if you don't have a Bible today, I'd encourage you to, get, to bring one, either a hard copy or digital. But we'll, we'll be in the text quite a bit, so that'll be helpful if you have a Bible with you. So, just the very opening words of the book here. Uh, it says, these, if I can get there, these are the words... These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. 
Um, and so essentially the book is three long speeches that Moses gives uh, to the people of Israel. And so as it starts, these are the words or these are the spoken words. Uh, traditionally, uh, Hebrew texts are named for the first word of the book. Uh, the authors didn't necessarily sit down and title a work. They just started writing. And tradition usually adopted the first word or two um, as, the title of the bur- as the title of the book. And that's, that's how it's known uh, in the Torah, in the Hebrew text. It's just Elah Devarim. These are the spoken words. We know it as Deuteronomy. Uh, because uh, in both the Septuagint um, and, and the Vulgate, Septuagint is the, the Greek text, the Vulgate's the Latin text, uh, both of those are, are trans, translated as, as Deuteronomy in chapter 17. So if you want to turn over to chapter 17 real quick, we'll look at that text. <clears throat> so they're looking at a Hebrew text translating to Greek and or Latin. And in 18, 17, 18, we read, uh, when, he takes his, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests who are Levites. That phrase, the copy of this law, is translated what we have in English as Deuteronomy. So um, it's actually a little bit of a, of a misinterpretation uh, Deuteronomy in the in the Latin and in the in the Greek refer to a second law, which is what we have on the screen here, a second law. Um, but actually, when you go to the Hebrew, it is like what we have in English. It's just a copy. Moses is essentially generating another copy of the law, and um, so it's a little bit of a misnomer. However, uh, since essentially Moses is delivering a, a second rendition of the law, it, it fits and tradition stuck, and that's so the that's it's the a name. Telling it's not a new law. Right, right. That's right. So uh, it's essentially a, a retelling, as Hilton was saying. If, if, you tra- if you interpret this literally, it would seem like there is a second law, and that's not, not totally the case. In any case, tradition stuck, and uh, we have this second telling of the law, essentially. Okay, let's talk a little bit about authorship. Uh, it's actually an anonymous work. But, but Moses gets the credit, as he does with the rest of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, and so that's partly by uh, tradition. Uh, it's also partly just because all of these words, all these spoken words, uh, essentially come from Moses. Um, they're either from Moses or from the Lord given by Moses. And so because so much of the bulk of the content of the book comes from Moses. Uh, Tradition has just always attributed the book to Moses. Um, However, there are a couple of other um, things to think about. Um, There are several affinities in the book with Hosea, several similarities, and also several connections to Josiah and 2 Kings, which gives us a time frame of somewhere in the 8th to 6th centuries uh, before Christ, so um, 800 to 600 B.C., uh, th- that date is very important because it overlaps um, a, a, f- a few periods in Israel's history, obviously. That's, obviously. that's part of the time they're in the Promised Land, and it overlaps into the period of exile. Okay? And then the actual setting of the book, as we saw in verse 1 there real quickly, um, is east of the Jordan as they're on the, the brink of entering into the, to the heart of the Promised Land. Technically, they're actually already in the Promised Land, but... 
uh, crossing the Jordan gets them into the heart of the promised land. So there's three important um, <coughs> periods that this book speaks to. There's the wilderness wandering period where uh, the people are awaiting the fulfillment of God's promises. Okay, that's, that's how Moses is actually speaking to the people in the book. Um, however, it was probably written while uh, the Israelites are actually in the promised land. And so it's, a, it's essentially a historical book for them to remind them of what God has done, to remind them of how the promise has been fulfilled. So um, often as, as I'm reading Deuteronomy, I kind of think about um, how someone might write today a book about George Washington. You know, a couple hundred years ago, or any of our forefathers who established a nation and so we're writing a history book today to give us a reminder of what happened a, a couple hundred years ago. That's essentially kind of what's happening uh, w- with Deuteronomy. Okay? So you have the actual setting of the book, Moses speaking to the people as they're about to embark uh, on the promised land. They've just been in the wilderness. Um, the writing of the book is both during while they're in the promised land as a reminder for God has fulfilled their promises and uh, in the period of Babylonian exile. So it's also a recalling for people who are in exile to remember how God was uh, faithful and how they essentially didn't uphold their part of the covenant and were cast into exile. Yeah. Dale just, just pointed out that Max Lucado uh, <laughs> says that it was written in 1450 to 1500 B.C. Hmm. How do you work that out? Well, uh, I, I'm not sure. The scholars that I have seen write about it target this time frame Max may have another insight what, what do you what do you think no, I, I, or do I, you? I mean I think it I think it is talking about the period of time about that old but I, I don't know I mean it, what in Moses tradition 1450 well sure yeah right so possibly that's how Max is arriving at that conclusion if he's um, sticking to the traditional interpretation that Moses is the author, um, then that would line up with, with that date. So that, that's how that makes sense. Um, however, most scholars would probably say Moses was not the actual physical author, even though all these words are attributed to Moses. Um, and we'll, uh, kind of the next thing here is who those possible people might have been, if not Moses. Paul? I was going to say a lot of it is, yeah, they attribute it to Moses, but during the exile, Kurt. The, the writing, the right. Of the That's right. However, and this is, um, I, I'm not sure about this. It's possible that Max is in the camp of, I mean, there are some people that would say, no, Moses was the actual author, right. and therefore it would have to be at that date. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if Max is in that camp. And that's a legitimate claim. We, we don't know. So um, you just have to use clues and, and try to form the best opinion possible. Uh, but that would, that's probably how that how that reconciles. And so if it's, if it's not Moses who actually sat down and wrote the text, uh, there are some other possibilities. It's possible that it came out of uh, 
sort of the prophetic circles, um, and this would be the, the prophets of the 800 to 600 uh, time frame. Um, it's possible that it came out of the priestly circles, or it's possible that it came out of, so the priestly circles being the, the Levite tribe, the priests actually sat down and, and brought these texts together. Um, or it's possible that it just came out of uh, the wisdom uh, circles. So like what Paul was talking about, the scribes, those who are, we, we would think of them as the, the academics of the day, those who have access to historical documents and, and have the ability to read and write. So um, in any case, what I hope we can take away is this, this yellow slide here, or this yellow bullet, that throughout, throughout the text, this will be an important hermeneutical um, angle. We constantly have to look at all the texts as speaking to people who are in uh, the wilderness, people awaiting God's promises, people who are living in God's promises in the promised land, and people who remember God's promises, people who are now in, in exile. And so there's always those three kind of uh, lenses to, to examine, examine the text through. All right. Um, a couple of words on style. I won't spend much time here. Um, let me just bring these up. Uh, the literary style, if you remember um, possibly in, in grade school, Sunday school, uh, you may have learned the, the different genres of the Old Testament, different styles of the Old Testament. Um, so you ha you'd have um, history and law books, uh, poetry, wisdom, and prophecy were the, the general categories that most things fall into. And so if those are the categories you're using, then uh, Deuteronomy would be in the history law section. Um, and uh, a, a, an important word here about the word uh, myth. Um, when scholars talk about myth, they don't, they don't necessarily mean things that are not true or um, the, the way we, we probably think of myth uh, in the Western world. This genre of writing could qualify as myth in that it records truth that reveals truth. And that's essentially what, what, how myth functions, especially in the ancient Near East. Um, when people were recording history, they weren't thinking like uh, Westerners and how we record history, where uh, we record history trying to get the facts right. You know, and, and even that, frankly, is shifting a little bit, right? We see that in today's news media. As we're reporting on history, we're no longer reporting facts. It's very difficult to find uh, news outlets or media uh, like we had 30, 40 years ago. Everything is an op-ed piece now, right? And, and we know that, and so we have to filter news um, expecting that the author is gonna bend it to his or her um, views, political or otherwise. Um, it, in the ancient Near East, they wrote history uh, for the purpose of revealing a truth bigger than what they were actually writing. So they weren't necessarily after um, every accurate detail, although much of Deuteronomy, I, I think, is, is accurate historically, uh, the point of the book is to reveal truths about God. So that's kind of, kind of how we move forward uh, into the text. Uh, the genre, however, is not like Exodus or Leviticus that are essentially uh, narrative. It's, those books are historical and, and narrative-based. The genre is a little bit different in Deuteronomy. It's speech. It's three sermons, the second of which is uh, about uh, 21 chapters or so. It's a long sermon. 
Everybody's waiting for the invitation song, and you know it, it never never comes. Uh, in fact, there's a, a midpoint in the sermon. Moses gets about halfway done, and it feels like he's wrapping up, and then he kind of gets started again. And so uh, we'll get through all of that. But but the genre is, is a little bit different. Uh, the orientation to time is is very much future, whereas those other narrative books are are recalling either present events or remember things in the past. Uh, Moses is, does recount a lot of the history. But he's always got his mind's eye on what's coming. He's always, uh, you know, passing the Lord's laws uh, to the people so that they know the way to live. And that's essentially um, the overarching purpose of the book. This is how to live as God's people, how to be the community of God, the way, uh, the way of God's people. Um, and then interpretation style, historical criticism is helpful which is essentially um, just trying to figure out how the text would have been heard in its original historical context. So you have to uh, put yourself in, in the shoes of the people in the ancient Near East, uh, in uh, the, the Jewish culture, and as much as we can figure out how the original people would have heard it, then we can figure out, okay, what truths are there uh, for us to, to, to live and, and hear? Um, okay, uh, the setting is uh, in the fifth book of the Torah. The Torah uh, meaning the teaching, it's literal, literally in Hebrew, uh, the teaching. And so um, those first five books all kind of make up the, the Torah. Um, uh, that's, that's all I'll say about that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, I've talked a little bit about that. Okay, and then the actual physical setting is Moab, east of the Jordan, across from Jericho. Okay, and this, this is a little bit important for us to know at least a little bit of the basics of our geography. Uh, I, had a, I had a fourth grade Sunday school teacher that started every, every class. He would come in and, oh, that one didn't work. He would come in and uh, draw this on the board, and that was his tool for teaching the whole <laughs> lesson. That stuck with me. I mean, this was fourth grade Sunday school. Because does everybody know what this is? With the map on the screen. So, and this was, this was his whole teaching. We didn't have flannel board or anything like that. We had a chalkboard, I guess, probably. And that was the whole, that was the whole deal. That kind of stuck with me. Um, okay, so uh, just very briefly, uh, they're standing. Uh, up here is the uh, Sea of Galilee. Uh, Dead Sea is down here. Of course, Egypt is over here. This is the Mediterranean. This is, this is a modern-day map, so, you know, Jordan didn't look like this at the time, but this is Jordan now. Uh, and here's the Jordan River that separates the West Bank from Jordan, the country. Uh, so they are um, standing in Moab, uh, just, uh, just across from Jericho, Jericho being about right here. So they're kind of just on the other side of the river. Now, if we, if we want to get technical, the Promised Land, you know, we can read some texts and, and figure out that the Promised Land actually goes all the way to the Euphrates and all the way to the Nile, I think. Is that right? Does it go west to the Nile? Um, and so it's this big region, and of course that has political implications even today, uh, and all the way back to 1947 when Israel became a country, and the War of 1967. We won't go into all that detail. <laughs> Suffice it to say that they're technically in the Promised Land, but the heart of the Promised Land is, is here in Israel, as you get close to the water sources, which makes the land uh, fertile. And so they're just about to embark into Jericho, uh, after having wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and Moses gathers the people and stands up before them <clears throat> and goes into these three long sermons. Okay, so that's, that's the actual uh, physical setting. 
Okay, and then um, it's also important, I'm gonna have to move quickly here, but this is important. Uh, it's important for us to know where in the Torah this story sets, uh, where in the history of God's people this is, is formed. So for uh, about 90 seconds, I'm gonna give you the, the overview of the Old Testament up until this point. For many of you, this will be review and that's okay. Um, but uh, maybe it helps us remember how some of these stories connect. And maybe for some of you, this is new and that's, that's okay too. But um, so we start in Genesis uh, one through three is the story of the creation and the fall. God makes uh, all of creation and it's good. But uh, Adam and Eve fall to sin. In Genesis five, uh, we have uh, a lineage from Adam to Noah. Okay, so that gets us from first person to Noah. And then of course the story of the flood which is essentially a story of recreation. Okay, God is preserving a remnant and recreating out of that, which is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. Uh, when we get to Genesis 11, we have another lineage uh, passage from Shem, one of the sons of Noah, all the way to Abram. Okay, and then Abram becomes a pivotal character for the rest of, of Scripture. <clears throat> uh, Genesis 12, there's a little bit of a shift in the way Genesis is written. So it seems like there's a genre break, and at Genesis 12, it becomes a little bit more uh, historical uh, in nature. Uh, and of course, God covenants with Abram, changes his name to Abraham, and out of that covenant is what uh, moves God's people forward from that point on. God promises Abraham that his descendants will be as numerous as the uh, sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky, and that they will inherit the promised land. And so from that point forward, they're moving to that uh, objective. Um, Abraham eventually has Isaac, his son Isaac, which means laughter, um, and so, or he laughs. And, uh, and so we know the story of Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain and nearly sacrificing Isaac, who at that point is his only uh, heir and the only uh, line for the lineage. So it really calls into question God's faithfulness. Of course, uh, Abraham's hand is stayed and, and Isaac survives and, survives and the lineage goes through him. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. They're twins. Uh, Esau is the firstborn, Jacob, Yaakov in Hebrew, which means ankle because ya Jacob was holding on to Esau's uh, ankle as they were birthed because even in the womb they were wrestling to compete to see who could be the firstborn. <clears throat> and so Yaakov is, is born, birthed, holding on to Esau's ankle. Um, and then through the story of Jacob, Yaakov becomes the Hebrew word for liar. And so um, some of you, I don't know if we have any Jake's, Jacobs in the room. Some of you probably have children who are Jacob. Jacob's a great name and a great character, um, but it does happen to mean liar in Hebrew. That's okay. It also means ankle, so you're redeemed. <laughs> I don't know if that's re redemption or not. Uh, okay, uh, Jacob uh, grows up, wrestles with God. God names, renames him Israel. We have the story of Jacob marrying uh, Leah and Rachel. He actually uh, loves Rachel, but is tricked and, and marries Leah first. And, and then their, their sisters, I don't know if I said that. So he marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel. Uh, Rachel has difficulty having children. Uh, Leah has children first. Uh, Leah's firstborn is Reuben. In, in the Hebrew, It's, uh, it's essentially two words. Ben, you recognize, at, this is, uh, well, I can't write it very good in English, but so it goes, Hebrew goes right to left. So we have Ru and then 
Ruben. <laughs> okay, R Ruben. Okay. Um, it's, it's essentially two words. You probably recognize the word Ben, uh, which shows up in several names and several stories. Ben is just son. Okay. Ra'u is the word for look, the imperative look. Leah, who wants to be loved by Jacob, but who has always played second fiddle, um, finally has a son, and she says, look, a son, and that's his name. As if to say, I have given you a son. Will you love me now? Will you love me now? Um, but Jacob's uh, affinities always uh, stay with, with Rachel. Uh, Leah has several other sons. Uh, Rachel has uh, two sons, Joseph and uh, Benjamin. Um, and uh, that's a kind of a tragic story. She actually dies in childbirth with uh, Benjamin. Uh, it's actually Ben Onan, which is son of my pain, and Joseph changes that name to, to Benjamin. Um, and so that's the story of those. So essentially, those two ladies and their handmaidens, we won't get into all that, have 12 <laughs> sons. And so those 12 sons then form the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? Is this more than 90 seconds? Probably so. This is important. This is important. Um, okay, now, how do, how do they get to where they're going? Joseph. Uh, is a little bit arrogant and um, has a one-way conversation with God, kind of is receiving dreams and is sharing that with his brothers. His brothers don't take kindly to that. So they sell him into slavery. They're, they're living up, up here at the time. Uh, they sell him into slavery. Joseph uh, is enslaved down in Egypt. And eventually, this is a long story, but eventually rises to power in Egypt. Second in command, only second to Pharaoh. And his family remains uh, east. Well, eventually there's a famine over here. And so some of those older brothers, uh, all, all the older brothers actually, go down to, to Egypt to find food. And um, it's a neat story of reconciliation. Joseph offers forgiveness and eventually brings his whole family uh, down to Egypt to live in the wealth of Egypt. Now, uh, once the family has relocated into Egypt, they thrive probably because Joseph is so high and it sets that family on a good trajectory. And through the generations, they thrive so much that the Egyptians finally realize there are too many of these people. If, if they wanted to, they could, they could overtake us and we, we can't let that happen. And so uh, they enslave the whole population. The whole Hebrew population becomes slaves to the Egyptians. Uh, they serve in servitude for 400 years. Let's see if I've forgotten anything important. Nope. And then after the, that 400-year period, uh, Moses comes forth. You remember the story of Moses. Um, he is sent to uh, deliver the people. And so through that deliverance process, there's the plagues. Uh, and then finally, Pharaoh lets the people go. There's the crossing of the Red Sea, which is a formative event. And um, then they go out to Mount Horeb slash Sinai, where they receive the Ten Commandments. And then go out into the to the to the journey to the promised land, which we'll see in our text in just a moment, should have taken 11 days from where they left to where they should have entered was 11 day, an 11 day trip. And instead it takes them 40 years because of their lack of faithfulness. And so that is what, um, I think I've covered all the main points. So that brings us to where we are today. We have that 40 year wandering period and uh, they eventually come around over here, and now they're finally on the brink of entering the promised land. An entire generation has died off, 
and Moses wants to remind the people of how uh, God has blessed them. So, again, the value of Deuteronomy, and then we'll get into chapter 1 in a little bit more detail. Um, First of all, uh, the book invites God's people into relationship with him. This is how God forms his community. Okay, Moses is laying out that, that foundational work of how, how God's people are going to be in relationship with him. Over and over again, it demonstrates the grace and the love of God. Uh, if you are uh, familiar with the breadth of the Old Testament, you know there are some troubling passages. There are some things in the Old Testament that we kind of scratch our heads about and say, why in the world? How, how does the God of the Old Testament reconcile with Uh, the God of the New Testament, that would send his son to save the world through this painful, humiliating death uh, because he loves us so much. Where's that love in the Old Testament? And certainly there are passages in the Old Testament that call that into question. However, there is a theme through the Old Testament of God's steadfast faithfulness and goodness and blessing. Um, That's If you want to turn to Exodus 34 real quick. Uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. This is right after Moses has received the Ten Commandments. And uh, God, uh, Yahweh, gives a self-description to Moses. Uh, And then this self-description shows up throughout the Old Testament about another dozen, ten or twelve times. So it's a theme of, of how God wants to be known. This is kind of his own special description. Uh, God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, this is his description of himself, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And that shows up over and over again. Now, if you keep reading, you'll see that there's another side to that. He's slow to anger, but, but he does anger. He is a jealous God, and there are consequences to that. But this theme of, of love and faithfulness is throughout the Old Testament. Okay, additionally, uh, Deuteronomy teaches God's people how to live with one, one another in community. It teaches them how to be a just people, uh, and, and those are, are true for us today. Uh, it also instructs how to live amongst a religiously pluralistic culture, because that's the context that they had. Luckily, we don't deal with that. No, obviously, that's a truth for us as well. Uh, and then it informs the rest of the Bible, including the New Testament. It's one of the most quoted texts uh, throughout Scripture. Here's a quick little overview of the structure of the book. The first five verses are a preamble, and the first four chapters or so are Moses' first address. And then here's the, the long sermon. So there's a formal 5 through 28. It's kind of that big chunk of Scripture. 5 through 11 is really the formal sermon, and then 12 through 28 is just like the bonus material of the sermon when everybody's like, okay, it's, you know, it's almost lunchtime, but he's, he's still going. Uh, and then there's Moses' third address in 29 and 32, 29 through 32. And uh, so essentially he just keeps preaching until he dies. <laughs> that's how, the, that's how the, the book ends, with Moses' death. Okay, that's a quick, quick overview. Okay, lastly, some highlights, and then we'll get into the text uh, for a few minutes. Um, Okay, Uh, the the text implores the new generation to to, uh, respond to God's grace with love and obedience. Okay, so there is, throughout the book, you'll see 
how we can respond to God's love and faithfulness. Um, of course, you'll, we'll see a reminder of the Ten Commandments. That's essentially the second telling of the law that we get. Uh, one big highlight in the book is the Shema, uh, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. That text is on the screen here. Uh, Listen, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And this, uh, this essentially becomes a prayer that is so important for the uh, Hebrew people that they, they build it into their liturgy daily. They repeat this prayer twice a day because they, they never want to forget this truth. And these two words uh, show up quite often, listen and love. So we have listen, which is uh, Shema, which is how that gets its name. And uh, love, um, which is ahav, okay, in Hebrew. So we have these two words. Essentially, listen has much more to do than just hearing. It's much, very much like English, where we have things you can hear and things you can listen to. And there's a difference. So there, he's not saying, hear Israel. In fact, we get that translate, translation sometimes, hear, O Israel. That's, that's not totally accurate. It should be listen. Listen, O Israel. And that's a, a different uh, meaning. There's a response when you listen. You heed something. You follow it. You obey it. And there is obedience tied to that. So obey, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then the rest of uh, all this law is instructions on how to love. So if you listen and obey, uh, you, are, you are motivated by God's love. But you only love, you only truly love, if, if you obey. And so there's kind of this uh, symbiotic relationship between these two words. And, they, and they're all over the text. Uh, they, they show up often. Um, so that Shema is an important highlight. There are certainly laws for justice and worship and leadership. There's the blessings and curses section, that third sermon we get from Moses. And then eventually Moses predicts the, the failure of the people and the need for grace. Okay. All right. So that's like five books real, real quickly uh, of, the, of the Torah and a little overview of, of Deuteronomy. Um, so let's spend the last few minutes together just kind of going through the first chapter <clears throat> so we can at least uh, dig in a little bit. I'll encourage you to take that syllabus. I'll send you an email if you signed up. I'll, I'll give you a, a soft copy of that syllabus this week. Um, I would really encourage you to read the text each week. That'll be um, especially helpful as we look at some of the longer texts. We won't be able to read everything in here. So if you can read ahead, that would be a, that would be a good thing. Okay, but I am, I'm going to read some of it now. Um, in uh, the first five verses, we get some uh, seemingly uninteresting place names. Okay, and we'll, we'll come back to this in a minute. Uh, but essentially, uh, we're just giving this, given the setting here uh, where we get uh, where, where things are. We've already kind of looked at the, the map. But the important part is that now they're east of the Jordan, kind of on the precipice of entering the Promised Land. Uh, Moses begins his first uh, address here in verse 5. Um, and uh, I don't remember why this slide is here. <laughs> uh, just to show you where, where we are. Standing in Moab across the Jordan. Okay, uh, let's, let's look at verse 6 through 8. 
Moses says, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, or Sinai, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, and in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. So it's important to note here that you know, we, we talk about the, the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and it's as if the people have waited for 40 years. The truth is they've waited much longer than that. It goes all the way back to Abram or, and Abraham when, he's changed, when his name is changed. But that, that covenant is made with Abram. That promise is given to him many, many years ago. And so the people have been waiting uh, you know, hundreds of years before the, this promise is finally realized. Is this the first time we see uh, the land promise as this vast swath of real estate, or is this, uh, this kind of something that we've seen somewhere else? Genesis 12 would possibly have, I don't know if it has, uh, it probably does. I don't know the answer to that question. Does anybody know if Genesis 12 gives us the place names? It gives different place names. It, it gives city references. Ai, uh, Negev. I don't see just as a, in a scan. I don't see specifically naming the, like the Euphrates as the eastern border. So it, it may be the the first place where the, where that uh, area is defined, and, that, and that's important significantly for sure. Um, okay, the next uh, next section here, verses nine through eighteen. Just read the first uh, three or four verses of this section. At that time I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your number so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. That's the fulfillment of, of the Abrahamic covenant. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase uh, you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. But now can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Choose some wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. So this section deals with that leadership structure, uh, and essentially it goes to justice. God wants his people to be living fairly and equitably with each other, and in order to do that on this scale, uh, he has to set up um, essentially a, a, a judicial branch of the government where there are uh, men appointed at, at different levels different groupings so that they can solve problems that arise and and if things uh, can't be solved at lower levels then they kind of move up the chain of command and so ultimately uh, it's important to note that Moses maintains responsibility and and uh, bears the full weight of that responsibility but he has people that that help him along the way so and, and we see that play out because ultimately he's responsible for the Israelites' lack of faithfulness and is therefore not allowed to enter into the promised land. So he can't, you know, he can't throw anybody under the bus. He can't push that blame down the chain of command. He's still at the top. So therein lies uh, several implications for uh, a theology of leadership that plays out within the community of God uh, that, that we'll get to explore in, in more depth later. Um, okay, uh, skip on down to verse 19, if you would. 
then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites <clears throat> through all that vast and dreadful desert that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Uh, and in the first couple of verses of the book, we see that the, the time between Horeb and Kadesh Barnea is 11 days. And so that's the reference I made earlier. It should have taken them 11 days. Uh, in fact, it, it probably did take them uh, about 11 days to get there the first time. Then they spent, sent their spies in, which was not instructed by God. That was on their own accord. Um, and the spies went in. You may remember that story. Ten were bad, two were good. There's a song that goes with that. Uh, but Joshua and Caleb were the, were the two good spies and gave a good report. The other ten were weary, were uh, afraid. And so because of that, they swayed the vote to not enter the promised land. And God essentially says, okay, fine, then you can go back to the Red Sea. As if to say, uh, if you're not going to possess the land that I am gifting you because you don't have enough faith, then I'll send you back to the Red Sea where you should be convicted of faith. There should be no doubt at, by being at the Red Sea. If you remember what happened at the Red Sea, which God split the Red Sea so that the people could pass through, uh, they, they should have all the faith uh, that they need. So, um, let me just get this up here. Okay. So, the, the themes here in this section are to, to not be afraid because the land was given out of God's goodness. Um, and then we see, uh, I've kind of already talked about this, the, the desire for spies indicates a lack of faith. Uh, it's also interesting, I always thought that the spies went into. Um, figure out you know, how to strategically take the land. If you read the text, it, it seems like part of the mission of, of the spies entering the, the land is just to see if it really is good. They go in and, and their first report back is, yeah, the, the land is good. Here's some fruit. Uh, it's, it's a good land. As if they don't even have the conviction of faith to trust that God would give them something good, let alone whether or not they can take it. They're, they're still trying to figure out, is this something that we even want? And so uh, this, the mission of the spies is, is interesting, too. Um, this do not be afraid is, is the most common command in, in Scripture throughout the Bible. Uh, I, I have not counted, but people count and say that that command is given 365 times, kind of once for every day of the year. But throughout Scripture, God is telling his people, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. I am with you over and over and over. That's one of the... Uh, the biggest themes in scripture. All right. Um, I know I'm, I need to wrap up here. Um, oops. So this, okay. This section, this next section, second to last section, um, the cause of fear are, are the size of the people. They're just afraid. They're intimidated by the, by, by the people that live in the, in the land. Uh, I do want to read um, verse 29 and 31. 29 through 31. These are good, great images of God. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. <clears throat> there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. All the way you went until you reached this place. So you see these two images of God, God as warrior who fights on your behalf and God as parent who lovingly carries you. Um, and those images kind of stick through scripture. That's a, that's a motif that's, that's present throughout the book. Throughout the book. 
Um, <clears throat> okay, and then uh, lastly, this last section here, 41 through 46. Uh, instead of instead of go up and fight, as we see in verse 42, the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight because I, I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So once they show their lack of faith, God says, fine, don't go and fight. If you do, you'll be defeated. Uh, and, and this is where he, he sends them back uh, to the Red Sea. The, the whole point uh, of this of this first chapter is to not let fear overcome your faith. Uh, and that, that is so easily said and so difficult to live into. Because we, we do the same thing today. Uh, we're, we're filled with anxiety. We're filled with fears. That's just normal human nature. Jesus tells us, don't, don't worry. It seems like God wants us to live lives that are not riddled with fear and anxiety, but that's so difficult to do. Um, all we can do is put our trust in God, rely on the fact that we are more than conquerors in Christ, uh, remember all of the times that God has showed up and fought for us and been a parent for us, remember his, his love, and from that, let our faith uh, overcome our fear. And so that is going to be kind of the, the mission of the book as we move forward. How can our faith uh, withstand fear? Okay, that's where we'll stop. Uh, next week, Logan will take us through the next couple of chapters, I think. So if you'll read through that, he's got a tall order as well. Uh, we obviously can't cover everything in class, so that's why reading it uh, as we go is, is so important. So I'd encourage you to, to do that. Thank you for being here. See you next week. Oh, uh, where's the email roster? Does anybody have that? Kirk. Kirk let us down. <laughs>